Hello, faithful podcaster listener peoples. This is episode 48. 48 times. Of the Questions Podcast. I'm going to go as far and say we have momentum. I don't know about that, but if we get momentum, there's nothing stopping us. That's true. Nothing. There's a, there's a lot behind us. Way too much spiritual minty freshness behind us. And then when you have a barge load of cold-blooded love. There you go. Add to that just enough brains to be dangerous. Smart enough to be dangerous. Smart. You like smart enough to be dangerous? I do. Is smart enough to be okay. dangerous. I grew up with the other one. I'll, go, I'll give it to you. I think the smart enough to be dangerous is kind of like an, the Einstein quote, kind of. A little Just knowledge. smart enough to be dangerous. A little knowledge is a dangerous, a dangerous thing. thing. Yes. So, um, news-wise, we were just kind of going back and forth on some news. There's some crazy stuff out there. Well, you were looking at the odd news website. That's dangerous. That's the best stuff and right speaking there. speaking of odd news, there's always a Florida story, story. Absolutely. It's so cold in Florida that the iguanas are getting cold shock and falling out of the trees. Yeah. Now, are they dying? Or are they just... No, they're in shock. So they're like iguananating, hi- hibernating. Yeah, I guess their body goes into like shutdown mode if it gets too cold. Those well, little cold-blooded are, creatures. They are reptiles. Yeah, man. Yep. So there's a... a yeah. You know a fun fact about iguanas? What? If you ever know anybody from Costa Rica or Nicaragua? They eat them. They eat them. Yeah, when I was in Belize. They're tasty, I'm told. I'm told that um, iguana is a really good thing to eat in Belize. Yeah. I yeah. I, I was I had a Costa Rican friend that was talking up iguana, barbecued iguana. He said it was the bomb. I was in Costa Rica for a family wedding about, gosh, six years ago probably. That's like a destination wedding. It was a destination wedding. You know what was awesome about it? There was the, a destination? Well, no. Somebody else paid for my wife and I to go to the wedding. We didn't have to pay for anything. It was awesome. We had this trip to Costa Rica. That's that's a great goal to have. Have but enough friends that pay to take you on vacation. Yeah. Family. Yeah. There, yeah. So there oh, was always oh, was was right family. On, that's different. So it was right on this beautiful piece of coastline in Costa Rica, and there were these giant iguanas running around on the beach. We were trying to chase and catch them, but man, those guys are quick. Yeah. They don't want to be caught. I bet they bite. They might. They look They look kind of ferocious. I mean, these things were a good 30 inches long. They were big. Wow. Yeah. From from nose to tail. Hmm. Yeah, tip to tail. Uh, yeah. That was pretty cool. Costa Rica is a neat place. I bet. I'm going to go there someday. Yeah, it was nice. We had some good food. And uh, in fact, I have a picture of Andrea holding a little baby monkey. Oh, really? Of course, she wanted to bring the monkey home. I said, we ain't bringing the monkey nah, home. No, monkeys don't make great pets. I found no out. iguanas, no monkeys. Monkeys are mean. Chimps are mean. I don't know. Primates in general are mean. We're kind of mean. Well, that's true. Sometimes. Well, you know, that's good. Well, I, I went on an exotic vacation type thing. Oh, yeah? To I, downtown Escondido? No. Oh, okay. Well, that, that's, that's, that, that, that's a foreign land. That's, <laughs> there's all kinds of things going on there. Uh I went to, you know, the garden spot known as Cibola, Arizona. Ooh, that's and not a garden spot. We were there. Well, it's the Colorado River. I had never been on the Colorado River or in the Colorado River. And so... Uh, Colorado? Colorado. So my River. son and I, we were there waterfowl hunting. Oh. And so, you know, you sit in... Well, you're standing in water up to your chest in your waders in the morning and 40 degrees. waders. Yeah, I got waders. 40 degrees in the water. Huh? Yeah. And, That's you know, chilly. You push the ice away a little bit, and then you Ooh. wait for these waterfowl to come by. Quack, 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 quack. It's kind of a challenge as you get older, because there's a lot of different kinds of ducks. Do you have one of those oh, duck yes, colors? Oh, yes, we do. They work really well. 
Do you have the one that's from what's that family that had the show the the people from Oh Louisiana, the Duck Commander? Monroe, Monroe. My son does. He's got one of those. Yeah. So what are those people called? The Robertsons or something like that? Uh, the, I don't know. Duck Dynasty. People. Duck Dynasty. That's yeah. what it is. Yeah. Yeah. They think they call it the Duck Commander or something. Duck Commander. But anyway, um, you know these ducks. You got to figure out what they are a long ways off because you can't shoot the wrong duck. Oh really? Yeah. You can have mistaken identity and make a really bad mistake. So. So what? What kind of duck were you Some ducks shooting? you can only shoot one of. You got to get some pretty good eyesight on these suckers. You do. It's how do you how do you know like well, there's a different color, there's the color shape of them? There's color and sizes and they shape uh, and they fly a little bit differently some. Oh. And then um I didn't know there was so much work that oh, went into this thing. Yeah, there's knowledge. Did you have a dog that would go get the ducks for you? Yeah, his name was Ethan. It was my son. <laughs> he was he was the bird dog, the duck getter, and uh, he's really good about taking bird care dog. of his old man. We went to this friend. Ethan bird dog children. There you go, man. There so we were boy. shooting shooting them their dad walls. I'll tell you what. I'll tell you. And then there's these. You call those boys in, and you go get them. There were these swan looking things. They're not. Those really are swans. called swans. No, they're not swans. <laughs> these they call them in Texas. I think ribeye of the sky. Tejas. 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 So in Texas, you can shoot them and eat them, but, but in California, in you can't. But you were in Arizona. You can't do it in Arizona either. They look like pterodactyls, Ooh. these things, but I still wanted to shoot one of those things. Huh. But anyway, so I had a good... You got to go to Texas. I had a duck dinner, and it was great. Do we know anybody in Texas that might host you? Maybe we have a listener that has some a place or some property for probably us to not. go probably not. do this. The man stuff. No, probably not. I don't know. I had a great time out there. Uh, Wonderful A good friend land. of mine brought me a... Uh, venison backstrap the other day to barbecue on my grill oh really it was good unfortunately i slightly cooked it a little too long yeah you gotta watch it's it. really hard to tell with those things because no, they're not huge i mean uh, no but you, you got you got a ton of uh, shoot for a little bit undercooked and they actually be about yeah late. well i probably should have talked to you before that but yeah it was it was just just over what i would want it to be cooked well you know there's a big there's a move uh born not raised move uh, okay. for meat and uh there's a big move with that with a lot of hunters huh. and i think there's some famous personalities uh i think even the guy from facebook is into the hunting thing he was a few years ago okay yeah, i but don't know if he's really big is. on the cooking of uh, wild game uh-huh because you know it doesn't have a lot of the chemicals and i have nothing against good old raised beef but there's a lot of people that you know are really into it but there's not a lot of fat in there so you got to cook it a little differently yeah no i didn't i didn't realize i hadn't cooked the backstrap from a dough before anyway. Yeah, well, there uh -huh. you go. Well, they call that fast food. The original fast food was there deer and the antelope play. Well, I also had some some venison burger meat, and I made some really good spaghetti sauce with venison. Oh, yeah. It was awesome. Venison meatballs. The kids loved it. Well, the kids liked the venison um, sausage. Sausage, they did like way, that. So. Well, they they really liked the the venison in the in the sauce, but then Andrea she has like a mental thing with eating bambi or something like she just couldn't bring herself to eat i was like it tastes great you gotta come eat this no there's no way she couldn't bring herself to you do just got to be hungry now i said you do realize that when you eat chicken or hamburger you're, you're eating an animal too like i mean you do understand this right and she said she doesn't have the problem with that but for some reason the deer is a is a hang-up really i guess so I, you know for me if it's meat i'll eat it well yeah it's rice kill and eat right yeah. So I, I walked the line. So my wife's got into bird feeding. Uh-huh. I don't know house. where this is going, like but okay. No, but I mean, so we'll have, 
They're supposed to be. You got a lot of the little finches. Are supposed to be migratory. Oh, but it looks like they migrate from my dad's bird feeder to our bird feeder. And so well, you have to out, watch them over a whole season and see. They're them. all there all the, all the time. They're going to have name. There's like fifty of them. Huh? And they just sit and eat all day. My mom's got they look bird like feeders. Turkeys, these little doves. My mom's got bird feeders, and she gets those little small yellow and brown finches all the yeah, time. Yeah, 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 yeah. Everywhere. Yeah. To me, I think she's just kind of like chumming them in for the cat. Yeah, I don't think she we, realizes we, we don't it. let the cat out in the morning. Oh yeah. So no, because the cat would eat the birds. Yeah. So. Well, my parents' cat's getting a little bit old, so he's slowing down. Yeah, he's not. He's not into it as much. I I'm told as you get older, you feed birds, and you get a remote weather station. So you can talk. About well, you're them. well on your way. I'm, I'm not feeding should the birds. Should I? Should I get you a remote no. weather station? No. You no. are feeding the birds. You, you just told me. My wife is feeding the birds. Well, you're you're privy to this whole thing. Well, I mean, I'm allowing it to go on. You're a part of it. Yeah. You. So. Well, last week you announced you're going to be a grandpa. Now you're feeding birds. You'll have a weather station in no time. I'm a time. double grandpa. I've got. Are two, you going to get a Cadillac? I got two. No, a Buick. I got two <laughs> grandkids coming. I know how the old man thing works. Okay? I want to see you in a Buick. But that ain't happening. For sure. Yeah. No. What kind of Buick? I don't. Do they still make Buicks? Heck yeah, they make Buicks. They're as ugly as ever. They are. Yeah. They were never. They're kind of an old person car. Hang on a second. You better watch it. What? Your mom drives a Buick. Does she really? Is that what that is? That thing's a Buick. Oh. Buick. Buick. They keep trying to make them the Encore, the Envision, the Enclave. Yeah, I don't like the graphic on the Enclave because it looks, when you flash on it, it looks like it says Enslave huh. on the graphic. It's got a really crazy ga- graphic. Let's see. Let's find you the the Buick that you need. I These look a lot sportier than I, I remember Buick. That's not your grandpa's Buick? I, I don't... guess so. No. Yeah. It's I... like get a Lincoln or get a Buick and you know you've crossed I the line. I am going to be... An irresponsible grandparent. Cutting I'm getting edge. a Tesla. Well, I want the Tesla truck. I'm getting a Tesla Cybertruck. There you go. So, By I can't God's wait. grace. Two grandkids in 2020. That's crazy. Mm, there you go. So, mm. if my youngest son will get with the program, they could have a they could have a kid. We could have three kids in 2020. I was talking to a friend about the Tesla Cybertruck, and he was talking to his neighbor that he wants to get a Tesla. And the guy gave him a he gave him a talking to because you need to buy American. It's like you do realize they are made in America. Teslas are made in California. Yeah, yeah. Isn't there a big Tesla factory in Portland? Fremont, too? Fremont, California. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. yeah, I could have sworn last time we flew into Portland area, Tesla had a big. I thought that was Subaru. No, no, it was Tesla. Oh, I believe right. so. I could be wrong. I was wrong once. Hey, so um, on the news story side, even though I don't necessarily have a news story today, being the twenty second of January. This is the 47th anniversary of uh, the Supreme Court of the United States of America's decision on Roe versus Wade. Since then, 50 million children nearly have been aborted, which is horrific. So definitely something to be praying that God would bring a stop to that. Is that figure just from the United States? United States, um, nearly 50 million since That's 1970. Ghastly. So 1973 was when Roe versus Wade was decided, but since 1970 the statistics are just about 46 or 47 million. Yeah. Wow. Mhm. Not good. That's like one of the most dangerous kind of places to be is in the womb. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you don't I think mean, about that much. gosh, it, it makes yeah. Man, that I I personally think should the Lord 
not return very soon. A hundred years from now, this will be something people will look back on and say, yeah, that was really, really bad of us. Yeah. Well, gosh, that's my opinion. No, I, I think, I think we will regret it one day. Right. I yes. mean, I think we're already regretting it for a lot of us. Yeah. yeah. So, but I do think one day there will be future generations that look back and go, what were they thinking? Yeah. Yep. So we do. That was somber. Sorry. I yeah, it's a bummer. It's, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's pretty horrific. It's, it's, it, it, there's no gravity to the iguana story anymore. No, no. But it does uh, remind us to continue to pray for our friends over at Alternatives. Yes, and we do. they're on the front lines. And we're coming up on the walk. We're going to start yeah, that. I don't, did you know, we ever find out a date for the walk for life? Um, yeah, it's in my phone. Oh, okay. You got the, you know, the magic. Because there's a competition that the other churches in our area know nothing about, but that we have dominated for a very long time. I don't even think dominate's the right word. I mean, we smoked Destroyed, them. dominated. Was, I mean, demoralize them. Demoralize. We, they, of course, you know, it, it, can it really be much of a competition if they don't have a clue that they are in competition with us and we're destroying them? Um, March 7th. March 7th. They know. They read the scoreboard every year. They don't really know. No, they do know. They know about the scoreboard. But the pastors of these churches don't really know that we have destroyed them in the totals on the walk for life for what seven eight years straight i mean yeah i mean we're gonna say with the walk the since the beginning of time i'm going right with, I'm, I'm yeah. with that yeah yeah i mean you know i mean i'm trying to be humble about the whole thing but i'm having a really hard time do our friends at alternatives listen to the podcast they do we give a little shout out yeah with shout out to tammy and Kana and hannah over there and our people and there you go uh, doing some good work over there we are praying for you yeah now, and we are going to beat your churches. Yeah. I mean, they don't even go to our church. They don't. It's not even... It's all good. Whatever. Sick and wrong. You know, they can be a part of a loser church. Gosh. I, you know what? I'm going to call those two Maybe other... I shouldn't have said that. No. Well, they lost. What well, is that's that? true. What, do it's the true. two plus two on that, buddy. Yeah. Are you doing some new math or what? So, yeah. I mean, you know, lose still means loser. So <laughs> I think we should call those other guys up. There are and, no plates for, points for second place. No, there are no points for second place. So um, I think we should call those other guys up and turn this into a friendly competition. I'm down with that. It's great. Yes, so, indeed. And uh, March 7th. So we're going to call, we got to get a hold of Larry and Chris. At North, North Coast. Coast and I'll then, see Larry tomorrow. Oh, you will? I have a meeting with Larry tomorrow. All right. Can you lay the smack down? You know, maybe I should talk to him about okay. it. Okay. And then I'm going to call Ryan over at uh, the new pastor over there. At, Ryan, um, what's his last name? Oh, gosh. It starts with a P, right? Paulson? Paulson. Paulson. Yeah, Ryan. Uh, we, I want to meet him anyway. Yeah. Sounds like a good guy. He's Just let him know. Like, hey, we'll take him out to coffee. we say, well, listen, uh, you didn't know this, but you uh, you took over a church that's been losing. Yeah. On a losing streak for a very long time. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, you might want to They probably didn't put that in the that. disclosure when he went yeah. to take over the church, did There's they? There's a much smaller church than yours. I but, mean, uh, microscopic. Yeah. In uh, comparison. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I mean, you know. I wouldn't say microscopic. But compared to the yeah. church of 8,000, I mean. It's not 8,000. 7,000? I don't know. We'll see. We'll find out. All right. Well, well if we went per capita then, we are so killing them. I know. Well, you know, I, I'm just going to say, we got the best people. We do. These people love Jesus and love the unborn babies of, of Escondido North more than County, anybody yeah. else. Mm -hmm. North County. Yeah, absolutely. These people love Jesus. Truly, truly. So, you know, I'm consistent i'm honestly we're just walking in obedience better yeah yeah i mean and humbly well 
Maybe okay. not so much. Sometimes that. we struggle. We might humble. need to work on that one. It's hard when your people are so amazing. We're working so hard on self-control, humility, but yeah. but winning. We're we're good at that. Yeah, we we're good win. at that, we're and we're that. spurring our brothers onto good, loving works. good deeds. There you go. There That's you biblical. go, man. So we're practically the spirit of Barnabas has entered the room. Hmm. There we go. I'll throw that out. Wow. So do we have any um, questions today? I think we've got some great questions today. We um, just finished up the the series, the beginning of the year series on uh, life and connection. Exactly. So, I like it. We got some new connect groups coming out. We're going to be right. announcing those. So. Four or five of them. Five yeah, of them. Yeah, well, I think there's like yeah. five of them. But when you add them all up, so I'm excited about that. So shout out to Get our people. Connected. Jump. It, we were running out of homes. It was desperate. Was desperate. Yeah. If but, you're a listener and you have the gift of hospitality and you live in North County and go to Cross Connection Church, you should be a connect group host. Yeah, and I'll come visit you and eat your food. Well, there you go. One of the free services I offer. Nice. There you go. All right. So, tax collectors of the Bible. Ooh, like, ooh we're getting close to it's yes. a new year. That's the April 4 April 15th coming. It's coming. Yeah. Um were they representatives of the Roman government or were they like an early version of the mafia who worked through extortion? Uh, oh man, I love they, that question. They, they were not extortioners. N- no. Well, Come on. I mean, do you have to equate Romans, Italians with mafia? Is that really what you have to well, do? As an Italian-American, I'm asking you. Uh, you know, well, I do. Mostly I do. Italian. My family, my family on my father's side, my paternal grandparents are both from Naples, Italy, which apparently... There's some, some leg breakers there. There's some leg breakers let's be, there. Let's be honest. But no, the tax collectors were not like the original version of the mafia. Yeah. That's pretty cool. That's funny. Yeah. So, I mean, this I have is, my own my, my historical take that I gathered. I don't know if it's right. This is but... my brother, Don Levi. Hey, yeah, Don, Don Levi. Levi. Hey. He's going to talk to you about some, some bills you kind of owe us. Yeah. Perhaps for a few more shekels, we can or look else, the other way. Or else you're going to have some problems. Yeah. I can see it right you now. You know, my, my dad's dad, uh, Grandpa De Benedictus, he used to call and he, he did talk like that. Is your father there? When he would call. Really? Oh, yeah. That's how he sounded. Like a scene out of The Godfather? Is your father there? Yep. Just a second. So. You don't suppose your dad, like, got out of town because the mob was after him or something, did you? I don't suppose. No? Okay. He is Just from take... Boston. Well. Boston. I got a lot of my people there in Boston. He's never taken me back there. So. <laughs> there you go, man. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, so the the tax collectors in the Bible, Levi was one of them. Right. My understanding was mo- most of them were Jewish. Well, Levi was certainly a Jewish man who was a tax collector for the Roman government. Right. There was a habit of sometimes they would collect a little bit more than was required okay, so, for themselves well, at me, times. It was a rumor. Yeah. Well, so Some of my them. reading of this mm-hmm. was that generally speaking, a an individual as like a representative of the Roman government in that time, would be a Jewish individual in that area. He knew the people of that area. He would have a certain region. And from that area, the Roman government had a certain level, a quota of tax that he was going to receive. So that was what he was required to get to bring towards the Roman government in that area. And then, you know, he would make his money from on top of that. Right. And a lot of them, I think, were Jewish. And so they were looked at... They were looked down Like turncoats. Yeah. Yeah. Benedict Arnold. Yeah. Yeah, I don't like that that name Benedict yeah, is, is it's close different, to different thing. It but, is different. Yeah, but yeah. the um so culturally there was some bad blood. There was there. some animosity. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean um part of what they were collecting was temple tax, correct? 
So the temple tax would actually be collected oh, at in the Jerusalem. Temple. Yeah, at the temple. a little bit okay. different. Yeah, but they were they were getting the taxes for you know all the building projects, public works. Public works. Yeah. Keep that. Keep them Roman roads nice. Yeah. Which so. you know what? Here we are, two thousand years later, and you can still go walk on some of them Roman roads. So they were well constructed. Which says more than some I of can the roads tell you, in Escondido. The roads in Escondido will not be here in two thousand years. No. 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 In fact, the road that I drive every single day through San Pasqual Valley to get to my house. That thing, it's lucky to be here through another big rain. Well, I was hoping a Volkswagen would fall in the pothole so you could get over it. Oh, my goodness. There's some big ones out there. Yeah. Um, But, yeah, so the tax collectors generally look down upon. I do think one of my favorite tax collector stories was Zacchaeus. He was a wee little man. I think he was honest, though. A wee little man was he? You know, I have have a different view on Zacchaeus, too. And I actually got into a a theological discussion, shall we say, about that one. I think he was a righteous tax. I think so. And people people throw Zacchaeus under the bus far too much. I think that the Sunday school culture has been very unfair to poor Zacchaeus. I totally agree with this because when you look at the language in the original language, I believe that's Luke 19. Let's, let's have a look here. Zacchaeus, Luke 19. When Zacchaeus kind of defends himself in that passage because the people around him, they complain saying, oh, this Jesus, he's gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Zacchaeus stood. A oh, tax collector. And he said, Lord, I give half my goods to the poor. And if I have taken anything by false accusation, I restore it fourfold. And the language is very specific when he says, I give and I restore. In that passage, the language makes it very, very clear that this was his practice. This was his way of life going back. It wasn't something that he was doing as like a form of repentance because people always say that he was repenting and he says, okay, well, I, I screwed up, but now I'm going to, now I'm going to give from now on. But no, yeah, that's not the context. No, because the, the word I give, the verb in that passage is in the present active indicative mood. So he's indicating something that he has been doing already. Now, so I agree. I think he was a good guy. And, and I'm going to be real He got honest. a bad rap for his job. Well, he got a bad rap, but I don't think that takes the gas out of the story. Nope. Because depending on your point of view, I am of the strong opinion, it's harder for a person who deems themselves righteous and does all the righteous things without a relationship with Jesus. I think it's harder for those people to come to the Lord sometimes than the pagan sinners who know that they really have messed up and they're in big trouble with God. And so uh, I think it's a lot harder for the self, in my experience, the self-righteous. Right. uh, Ones who do see clearly that, you know, righteous acts are beneficial because they are. Um, I think it's harder for the self-righteous to come to a, a real relationship with God than uh, the you know, sinners many times. And you know, great story, because sinners. right before Jesus has this meeting with the tax collector named Zacchaeus, just a couple paragraphs before in chapter 18 of Luke is a really great story that Jesus tells a parable because he's interacting with some people who trusted in themselves that they were righteous. There you go. And they look down on other people. And so Jesus tells the story about the two men that went up to the temple to pray. One, a tax collector, and another, the Pharisee. And the Pharisee stands there, and I thank God I'm not like these other piddly people who's tax collectors and extortioners and adulterers. As he's looking over at the like other guy. Like that tax collector over there. I was giving the guy the finger. I fast twice a week, and I give my tithes, you know, and all that sort of stuff. And the tax collector, he beat his chest, and he said, God, be merciful to me. I am a sinner. And he says, today, I tell you. This man went home justified more than the other. Well, and I think it shows a lot of continuity with the uh, parable of the prodigal son. Yes. Because when you really... To the two sons. Yes. and and But the, the, 
when you get to the whole down the whole deal, you're looking and you go, wow, the the they're really dealing more with the guy who thought he was righteous the whole time and yeah. how unloving he yeah. was towards his brother that really needed to get saved. And so a lot of people think, oh, that's about the bad kid that ran off. And while that is an aspect of it, it's really the big lesson is for the righteous guy or guy who thinks he's righteous. So there's some continuity in those Gospels. So did we explain that this wasn't the mafia? I hope so. If we didn't, then someone will let us know. Stop us and we'll talk to you about it. All right, number two. I was just reading Isaiah 45. Hey, that's your book, bro. Mm. Isaiah 45, 1 through 7. I know this is prophecy parentheses fulfilled question mark but i am struggling with verse seven you always say god brings order from chaos but here it says i form light and create darkness i make well-being and create calamity ugh i thought it was the devil that did these things have i been guilty of trying to whitewash our lord or am i misreading the text or misapplying it this is a super good question and like I have to say, the person reading this, like, you're reading the Bible the right way, asking good questions of the Bible. So, um, this is prophecy, fulfilled, question mark. Yeah, um, in large part, this is fulfilled. There may be some things woven in here that are future, but it's speaking about uh, Cyrus, the king of Persia, who would be the one who would ultimately release the children of Israel from the Babylonian captivity. So... When we read in Isaiah 45, verse 7, God is speaking here. He says, I form light and create darkness. I make peace and create calamity. I, the Lord, do all these things. Uh, it needs to be read in context with what's happening in this passage, that um, God is speaking a judgment against the Babylonians, and the Babylonians were going to be destroyed, or they were going to be overcome by Cyrus, king of Persia, which this actually did happen in history in the late uh, 6th century BC, and... Um, so Cyrus comes in and in what's called the Battle of Opus, he takes over Babylon. But um, when we read God saying, I form light and create darkness, there's two different things going on here because Cyrus coming to Babylon is bringing light and salvation and peace for the children of Israel because they're going to be released from Babylon. But in the very same act, it's going to be darkness and calamity and chaos for the Babylonians. So God's saying, hey, I'm doing both these things in this situation. So uh, in that context, what was, you know, light and peace and salvation for the Jewish people in their release at the hands of Cyrus, God's instrument um, from Babylon, is going to be darkness and calamity and chaos for the Babylonians. So he's doing these things, both things. God is the one that's behind it. So, hmm. yeah. It had me thinking of Star Wars. Oh, yeah? Well, it's interesting because people always think order is always good. Too much order can be dangerous. Right. And so I, I was interesting. I'd watched the whole Star Wars series. And one of the explanations that was given by the evil representatives of the First Order or Empire. Oh, the fir- oh you're talking the newest The newest stuff. The First was Order. Was that that was bringing order mm. to the galaxy. Mm. Organization and safety and protection. But not yeah. all order is good. Right? Yeah, you know. In that case, um, right? My, my favorite... Uh, Canadian psychologist, uh, Dr. Jordan Peterson, was talking recently, well, not recently, but I was listening recently to a talk that he gave on too much order. And he was talking about the Third Reich. Yeah. And he was talking about um, the way in which uh, Hitler order- organized and ordered the Third Reich. And it was almost like you had pushed order to the bounds to the point where it had become chaos. Order became chaos in a very bad right. way. So too much of a 
orderly thing. So is there a balance thing. between order and chaos? There probably is. This is a big philosophical, psychological conversation. Man, I'm going to have to use the force on that one. Use the force, Luke. Oh, man. Use the force. Hmm. So, yeah. So, I mean, too much. And order's not always, and, and yeah, order's not always fun. Yeah, I discovered the other day, I was having a conversation with my youngest son, Elliot. And uh, he had some little Lego characters. One of them was Darth Vader. And the other one was Anakin Skywalker. And uh, and he said, uh, so this guy right here, you know, Darth Vader, he's a bad guy. And I said, yeah, so's the other guy, Anakin. I said, they're the same guy. And he was kind of looking at me like, what are you talking about? I said, yeah, that's Luke Skywalker's dad. And Elliot got big eyes and I realized I just totally destroyed the story for him because he's never seen that before. He's never had a chance to see Darth Vader say, "Good one, Luke, pops. I am your father." Wow! Did, went, now, did oh, you? Oh no! I ruined the whole, now, the whole gripping. Scene. Did you tell him? Uh, did you? Did you come clean on Santa Claus and the Tooth Fairy all at the same time? I know. Wrecker just, of joy. I am the wrecker of joy. I felt Man. so bad. I thought, oh, how could I have been so stupid? <laughs> see, tonto, I so, ruined it. Yeah, he'll probably but, forget. Oh, I'm sure. Actually, he's got a mind like a steel trap. That kid never forgets anything. Oh man, that's not good. Mm-mm. Well, I mean, I uh, my first inkling on the whole thing was when the guy's name is Vader. Father? Yeah, I mean, that, in German, that means dad, father. Close, close, for yeah. For the most part. I, yeah. I, I was, that's what I was getting, so. Yep. Do you know who raised? Senator Palpatine. Actually, we shouldn't say such things. I that might it. be a spoiler. I called it. Yeah. You know, I called it on the couch that actually, I didn't see in the movie. That was actually really smart that they did that because she was way too good with the Force. Without any training. She like totally destroyed Kylo, who's been training forever. It's like, okay. come on, this isn't right. She's never even picked up a lightsaber, and she just totally destroys... Well, and that Kylo guy was the worst villain ever. You talk about a whiny He had a lot of villain. angst, but go back and watch the old ones. I mean, Luke had a lot of yeah, angst. Yeah, well, that's and, true. And Anakin was the worst. I mean, oh, talk about gosh, angst. There's an entire family of angst. A, they're just a, I like Darth Vader better. They were weenies. Darth Vader, there was a, there was a major fear factor involved with Darth Vader. I think it was the asthma. Yeah. <sighs> I'm afraid. I mean, yeah. I mean, I remember the first time when I was a kid, I saw him marching through the Princess Leah's ship. I went, Ooh, that it was the bad. James, the James Earl Jones voice and just oh, everything. Yeah. And just the, yeah, the whole deal. Yeah. It was, he even made Simba scary. When, when he Mufasa, grabbed that yeah. guy by the throat with the force. I mean, goodness gracious. Man. I want to so far off the Bible. Wow. There is a biblical connection. You There's know what I'm going to, I have in my mind the next time I get a ticket, uh huh, and the police officer pulls me over. Yeah, I'm gonna when he comes to the window and he gives me the greeting. I'm gonna go. This isn't the car you want. Let them be on their way. I'll see if I get a laugh these out. These are of not it. the droids you're looking yeah, for. Yeah, these aren't the droids you're looking for. Let them be on their way. We'll see if I get the you know humor. Yeah. Um. Anyway, yeah. Wait, we we are off in the weeds. Yeah. Anyway, so well, that's us. Uh, that's, I guess that, number three. Number three. Is there a difference between sex and gender? There's a lot of talk about gender identity. What does the Bible have to say about this? Is there a difference between sex and gender? Um, what's the, let's start with the first one. What's the Bible have to say about this? The Bible says... I'm just saying I don't get excited about having gender. I'm going to tell you that right this now. This is not what we're talking about, Mark. Okay. Listen, sometimes there are parents who have their kids listening. In 33 the you years. you got to be careful about these The flame things. is still alive, people. Um, so, uh, in the beginning, God made them male and female. 
That's what the Bible makes very clear. Genesis 1.27, Genesis 5.2 says that again. And then not only does Genesis say it, but Jesus, he also says the same thing. Matthew 19, he talks about in the beginning, God made them male and female. And for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife. The two shall become one flesh. So then what they are no longer two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no man separate. So, um, so yeah, we, we know clearly what the Bible has to say. Um, the other issue, you know, is there a difference between sex and gender? Um, on this issue, I think it's really important that we establish a few things, grant some things here. There are people, and I would say, you know, when we talk about the fall in Genesis chapter 3, it is my opinion that the fall affects everything, even the human genome, genetics. All of creation is affected by the fall. So as a result, there are birth defects. Birth defects of any kind, that is a, that is a product of the fall. It's not because of that person's sin. It's just a reality of the brokenness of the world that we live in. So that said, there are people who are born where their chromosomes, their internal parts, their genetics, do not match their external parts, their genitals. Uh, we would refer to those people as intersex. And in, in times past, they would call them hermaphrodites. And um, now, unfortunately, especially in kind of the middle and the, you know, second, third, if you will, of the 20th century, doctors and sometimes parents would elect, if a child was born like this, they would elect to do a medical procedure. They would identify a sex. They'd choose a sex for the baby. They'd do a, a uh, medical procedure to kind of make it seem like the, the external matched. Well, that caused all kinds of issues and problems. So, but we need to recognize that sex is a biological distinction. Gender is actually a linguistic distinction. So, gender, gender is not, it's not connected to biology. Now, of course, when you start to look at some of the social science of the 20th century, there's all kinds of crazy things under what's called gender theory. And under gender theory, this is where we get into the whole discussion of, you know, I don't even know how many Google now has, but it's like, we were talking about this at church about two years ago. Google had 63 different genders, everything from, you know, gender fluid to gender queer to, you know, all the LGBT, all that sort of stuff. So, H-I-J-K-L-M-N-O-P? Yeah. So when we talk about these things, the, the issues that are sometimes referred to as gender identity, this is a real big issue, obviously. But when we're talking about the, the terms gender and sex, there is a difference. And gender is a linguistic distinction and sex is a biological distinction and sex is biologically determined. And it goes down to genetics and chromosomes and all that sort of stuff. And yes, there are times where, you know, someone's outward genitalia does not match what they are genetically or internal sex organs and that sort of stuff. So, so yeah, that, that can be a problem. But uh, linguistically, like, you know, we don't see this in English so much, but in other lang languages, I've studied French and German and Greek. In those languages, you have, um, you have feminine, masculine, or neuter verbs, nouns, pronouns, and so forth. So, you know, in French, il, l is, you know, il is the male, pronoun l is the female. And German, d, der, and das, you have the masculine, feminine, and neuter, that whole deal. But that's a, that's a distinction that's linguistic. It's not, it's not biological. So finally, the whole thing on the identity problem. There are people that have real identity issues. And um, this is a much deeper discussion. And ultimately, it is a product of a broken world that we live in. And I, I really think that a person does not fully and properly understand and conceptualize identity until they find their identity in Christ. So 
And then on top of that, I don't think that the best way for someone to identify themselves is by what kind of orientation they have. You know, their identity is they're heterosexual or they're homosexual or they're bisexual or they're whatever it may be or all these different things. I think that when you, when you find your identity in those things, you're, you're heading towards problems. That would be my thought. Right. And the, the statistics. Yeah. Not great. Are, speak very loud. They scream on how, psychological mental problems that flow from. Right. And I mean, things that in people's lives. From suicide to drug right, and alcohol right. abuse, all these things. Yeah, in, this is the in dealing with these things in an improper, worldly way. Yeah, because right now the the kind of emphasis in our culture, outside of a Christian culture, but it's just in a very secularized Western culture, is to say if a person is wrestling with what they we keep hearing in the news as gender identity issues, then we should let them live the way they want to live, and you know have hormone therapies have. Uh, medical procedures done, operations done to be able to, for them to live in the identity that they, in their mind, feel they're supposed to be. You know, a guy thinks he's supposed to be a woman. It's a woman trapped in a guy's body. This whole thing, it it leads to some major, major issues that them going and and dealing and having hormone therapy or even going further and actually having um, uh, medical, what do they call it? Assignment, sex reassignment surgery. This does not help them that a lot of the people have severe depression after that point or just continuing on in that. So uh, there may be some better ways to deal with that. Right. And I, I would say for parents, all the stuff is being thrown at our kids. Yeah. Don't buy it. Don't buy into it. Don't subject your kids to it. I think it's really confusing for kids. And right. I I d- it messes a lot of kids up. That's not to say that we shouldn't be sympathetic towards people that are really struggling. No, 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 no. Because no, no. I think I, we should. I'm not, but, I'm not, I'm not saying that at all. But, but I, I don't but, think that the plan is, yeah, let's get hormone therapy. And I mean, gosh, when we see people want, talking about, like the thing that was happening in Texas a couple months ago oh, with gosh. the father who had a son whose the, the ex-wife was saying that he wants to be a girl and... She was talking about getting him hormone therapy before and having puberty blockers and all this sort of stuff. I just look at that and I go, that, that to me is uh, problematic and on, on the side of potential child abuse when you're moving in that direction. And these things are very, very dangerous things to start messing around with. Well, and you can't deal with a problem in a way that's just politically correct. Yeah. That, that's, that's, just, that's not going to fix anything. Right. So, um, yeah. So, we just don't have any basis anymore for you know, strong ethical theories, moral theories, because, you know, it's kind of everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And there was no king in Israel. Yeah. I always look at the, I always give the example of the traffic signals. If I, if red makes me happy and that's where I want to go and I decide that I'm going to go, what is that going to do to society? There's going to be a lot of accidents. Well, when you get pulled over, you're just going to say, this is not the car you're looking for. Right. Let him be on his way. Yeah. I, I think there has to be some absolutes, and when we mess with those absolutes, you're going to bring chaos to the universe. Truly. So, yeah, the bad news. But I, I do actually have somebody that we grew up with. Uh-huh. Um, we or you? Uh, my wife and I. Okay. Somebody we knew from, from elementary school, a wonderful family. That was part of their family. And then many years later, this person came out uh, to... Let everybody know what they had been struggling with the whole time. Uh, it was uh, the identity stuff? The identity, because the, they had to have a surgery when they were a oh, baby. Oh, okay, okay, yeah. They had a, a baby, and um, the parents made a decision. They had to make a decision. Right. And so um, I think the parents did 
dealt with it in a very healthy way. Uh-huh. And those around uh, her dealt with it in a very um, uh, healthy way. And this person had the best shot you could ever have of living a, a normal Well, that's great because life. there were a number of times, especially in the 70s, where decisions were made that were not wise. Mm-hmm. Um, now, as far as I know, and some of the stuff that I've read on this more recently, that they, they take a longer approach and they don't make any medical decisions early on. And so you have to kind of be careful with that sort of stuff. But I, I remember seeing a show, and it was on one of those news shows, like 60 Minutes or something. Mm-hmm. And I was pretty young when I saw this. It was the first time that this kind of like, I remember it being like the first time it occurred to me, wow, I never knew there was such a thing. And uh, so, but they were talking about an individual who, he was a twin, and um, his brother, you know, no no problems, but he had birth defects in the area of what we would call intersex. And the parents decided, well, you know, let's they elected with the doctor at birth, well, let's just assign him a female sex, sex organs on the outside, genitals. And, and so that's what they elected to do. And then this was when the social theory was, if you raise a kid as a girl, he's just going to be a girl, you know? So if you raise him with dolls and, you know, it's all just basically, you know, ordered by society. Right. And it became pretty clear pretty quick that, you know, he was not a she and... And so for a number of years, they tried to, you know, just raise him as a girl uh, because they had done this sex reassignment early on, but it just, it didn't work because the biology was not that. And so this whole show was pretty devastating about how that affected his life going forward. And so, that's a bummer. That's right. hard, hard news, man. Right. Yeah. So anyway, yeah, I think people are going through that. We want to have all the heart in the world. It's not their, their deal. I just, I, I think what really is offensive is the way that so many things are being crammed down our throats. Yeah. Um, these political this and that and causing doubt and angst where there really should be none. Right. So, um, you know, I mean, there's, you, there are those who um, ask the question, you know, does the Bible really address this at all? And um, it is pretty fascinating because Jesus in the scriptures, um, when he's talking with his disciples about the issue of, um, about marriage, and he talks about those who were born eunuchs. And there are a number of people who believe that when Jesus is talking about those who were born eunuchs, he's referring to those who might be in this category. This is in Matthew 19 as well, the passage that I was just mentioning about marriage. He said, um, for there, there are eunuchs who were born thus from their mother's womb in, in Matthew nineteen twelve. So some people think that that may be having to do with those who are born Sounds similarly. Like it. Yeah. yeah. So. Because one of the ways that they used to refer to people uh, who are intersex, now we call it inter- intersex. Before it was called hermaphroditism, and then before that it was called congenital eunuchs. So they're born that way. Congenital eunuchs now sounds like an operating system. Microsoft's newest release. Congenital eunuchs. Wow. <laughs> I don't think they'll pitch that one. That would be U N I X. There you That's go. That's eunuchs. Oh, okay. That's different. a little bit okay. different. All right. Where do you come up with this stuff? Uh, stuff. I'm. You're crazy. You know, I'm technologically challenged. Okay. Number four, you've mentioned the creation of... I think we answered that, right? I'm saying we answered Maybe, that. Maybe, yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. Or we just made it more unclear. Oh, well, I'm clear as mud. Okay. You've mentioned the creation of Adam and Eve several times over the last few weeks. Yes, because you've been talking about the fall. Mm-hmm. Two questions. Oh, they snuck into a double partner here. Do you believe in a literal six-day creation in young earth or a different view? Question mark. 
Second, when God made Eve, did he make her less than Adam or place Adam above her? It seems like the Bible could endorse sexism. Well, let me ask the second or answer the second question first. Um, Eve was not made less than or lower than Adam. The language is clear that God was going to make a helper comparable to Adam, compatible to Adam. And uh, so man and woman were both created together in the image of God, because it says, let us make man in our image, in the image of God, he made them male and female. So both are created in the image of God, and then they were joined together as husband and wife. And the Bible does not endorse sexism. In fact, freedom for women is most clearly expressed in nations that have had a Judeo-Christian heritage. So Not so much in the other ones. Yeah, not typically. And I mean, go and look at the way that women have been treated under Hinduism or Buddhism or Islam in a lot of different places. So where women have experienced the greatest, what we would call liberation, has been in nations that have been affected by Judeo-Christian heritage. So uh, there is, you know, intrinsic worth, dignity for women and men. They're, you know, created by God to be working together in God's creation. So I do not believe that you can make a case for sexism from the scripture. Now, does that mean that, you know, every society that has had the scriptures, you know, that they've all treated women correctly? No, because we're fallen sinful people. But when you take the principles of scripture, I believe that it leads to a view of equity. So equality. And I have to say, you also have to be really careful that we don't put our 21st century American capitalist spin on things as well, we to, know best right well as yeah as to what is good and what is bad because i think there are times when we put our view of what is good and what is bad and what is limiting and was not limiting on the, that view comes from our culture that does not come from the bible and so um we have to be really really careful about i mean that. there are some really big discussions about this in our culture on a lot of different levels, because this is just ongoing, the discussion about men and women in the workplace and in leadership roles and all these different things. And we do believe that God has created specific roles for men and women, and he has made us at a psychological level to desire certain things. So, you know, for example, there's been some research that's come out in recent years that has shown in the nations where there is the most equity or equality for the sexes, men and women, these would be the Scandinavian countries, that in these wealthy Scandinavian countries, uh, men and women still elect to do jobs that are traditionally thought of as men and women's jobs. So given all the freedom to be able to do whatever they want, women self-elect. They elect to do jobs like teaching and nursing, and men elect to do jobs like engineering. So There's something about our psychological makeup that leads us to desire certain things. And in the same area of uh, life choice and, you know, decisions for life. Right. Most women at a certain point want to get to a point where they they have a family. That's a reality. That's the way God has made. And I think what we need to throw in there is better or more prestigious. Those are all things that culture put out there. God never did. So many times... Our value for what is good and what bad, what is just, what great is unjust, point. is put out by our culture. It's not put out by scripture, and it's not necessarily, it doesn't have any bearing either in reality or the facts. It's something that we have put and said, well, this job is better. It's better to be a manager 
than it is to work for a manager. Or to we, be a mom. Yeah. Which is crazy. I mean, talk about a hard job. I wouldn't want to do it. Exactly. Yeah. But, and I think you are seeing a push. I'm a terrible Mr. Mom. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm just, my wife has a gift for being a mom. I do not. Say again? My wife had yeah. a gift and a dedication Absolutely. for being a mother that I just did not possess. Yeah. I'm not there. I'm yeah. not good at it. Yeah. So. True. I, I, I explain Mr. to mom, guys all the day. 221, whatever it takes. I tell guys all the day, all the time, they're like, well, how does this whole power thing work and all this? I tell them all the time, I go, okay, there's a big scary person knocking on the door. Are you going to go or is your wife going to go? <laughs> well, I don't know. I go, well, you're 100 pounds heavier or 80 pounds heavier, bigger, more muscular. That's, that's how you are. Whose job is it to confront that guy? True that. You know, you can talk about equality all day long, but at the end of the day. There, he's more suited to do that job on that day. Yeah. So, uh, so the first part of this question, um, Adam and Eve several times, do you believe in a literal six day creation, young earth or a different view? That's a huge discussion from a theological standpoint that would really require a lot more explanation than I'll probably give here. Um, the issue we run into with this is that we live under a certain presupposition in 21st century Western culture that the predominant worldview is consistently measured against scientific assumptions. So scientific assumptions says that the, the universe is 15 billion years old. The earth is four and a half billion years old. Homo sapiens. That's us. We're 200,000. All right. Years I was going to say, don't be calling me any names. Yeah. Well, so we're 200,000 years old. And so, um, we take the scientific worldview and we scrutinize the biblical worldview. And then a lot of times Christians feel like, gosh, I better just keep my mouth shut or else they're going to, you know, and then Christians get labeled, oh, you're a science denier, all kinds of kind of pejorative ways that people poke at Christians because, well, you don't, you don't believe in what science says. Well, that's not, that's not entirely true. So how do we respond to that? Well, first, um, I think we need to acknowledge that the Bible is not a science book. Science as we know it is relatively young. I mean, we're, we're really only going back about 500 years when you start to talk about scientific discovery and the scientific method and the way that we discover everything in the world. So the Bible never purports to be a scientific book. Now, that said, we should recognize that the Bible does speak of creation as if it was an event that happened, that God created everything. It also speaks of Adam and Eve as if they were actual people. So we read that in the book of Genesis, but we also, Jesus referred to Adam and Eve as actual people. So Jesus clearly believed and taught that creation was an event that God created and that he spoke of an actual Adam and Eve, and so did Paul. Paul talks about Adam and Eve. He talks about Eve or Adam in uh, Romans quite a bit. So in that situation, uh, I would contend that there was a historic Adam and Eve, and I would contend that God created the earth. Now, did God create the earth? Like when you talk about the young earth thing, um, what's that guy's name with the answers in Genesis guy, the Australian guy? Um... Ken, Ken, Ken Ham. Ken, Ken Ham. So he's like yeah. militant about young earth. So maybe a 10,000 year old earth and um, six day literal creation. And um, I understand what he's talking about. I've read a lot of his sort of stuff before, but there are a number of different ways that good Christians interpret the creation account of Genesis. So there's this, the literal six day creation, young earth view, um, and then there's like the gap theory view and there's what's called the flood theory view. And there's the ideal time theory view and the day age theory. And 
then you have the whole issues of intelligent design and theistic evolution and that God, he kind of governed evolution. So there's all kinds of different ways. And each one of these views has kind of its pros and cons. Um, so we need to recognize that good Christians hold different views on the creation account. And none of us, whether you're scientifically oriented or theistically oriented, none of us can go back in time and see exactly how everything went. But I will say this at the basis. We believe that God created all things that we see, um, that he exists outside of time and he created everything independent of creation. He is independent of creation. And I would have to say that I do believe that there was a, an actual Adam and Eve. You know, it seems that's the way that the scriptures speak. So do I believe in a young earth, uh, six day creation? I'm not sure I'm ready to say yes or no to that one. I don't know. Hmm. Yeah. I tend to just, I mean, I'm a simple fan. Yeah. Of simple tastes. Right. I tend to just read the Bible as it's written. And if one day I'm with Jesus and I found out that a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years like a day. Yeah. And it is, you know, 15,000 years old or 100,000 years old. It's not really going to make a change in my, how I believe. Now, I will say this. Yeah. None of us know what the world was like 10,000 years ago. None of us can go back in time. We don't. Um, So... Could the earth have been created by God within 20,000 years ago in a, a literal six-day creation? Absolutely. Sure, I have no problem with that. In fact, I'll put it like this. There's a growing number of people, based on some of the writings of... Uh, there's a philosopher by the name of Nick Bostrom out of England. Um, he is one of the proponents and one of the guys who's really put together this idea of the simulation, that we are living in a simulation, and um, this is all just a computer simulation, kind of like the Matrix idea, that we're all plugged into the Matrix, and none of this is actually real. We're not in base reality. The, our consciousness is just aware of this by some sort of computer simulation. So that's the view that's being put forward. So there is a growing number of people, uh, millennials, who believe we are in a simulation. If that's the case, if this is a computer simulation and not actual base reality, then we would have to assume that the universe as we know it in the simulation is not 15 billion years old, but it's been written, architected in such a way that it appears to be 15 billion years old. And this would be what's what even theologians refer to as the ideal time theory. And that is that if God created everything 10,000 years ago, 20,000 years ago, in a literal six days, then he built time in. So all the different things that seem to indicate that the world is billions of years old, he built it in and it just appears that way. Now, there's other theologians that have a really hard time with that because then it seems like God is kind of doing tricks to trick us and he's not being truthful. So there's so many discussions on this. It's a, it's a challenging thing. There's better places to, I think, put your thoughts, mind, and right. energy and, and things like that. And facts don't cause faith. We know that. For the for the most part, I'm not saying don't study your apologetics and 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 I, I, but what I am saying is in the end, faith is faith. And yeah, I do think you have to make a you have to make a step of faith into whatever you believe. So if you believe that the world came into existence uh, out of nothing through the Big Bang 15 billion years ago, that's a step of faith. Well, yeah, and 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 you know, I, I used the example last week of you know. The Pharisees had every opportunity in the world to believe that Jesus was the Messiah. All the facts were there. And these right. weren't inferred. These were facts, scriptural facts, the books they studied and they knew better than anybody. But their heart was already in a place where they didn't want to believe those facts. 
They didn't right. have the faith to even believe the, the facts that were there. And so... Th- yeah, because my pushback on what you said, because what was it exactly you said that... Well, I was just saying facts, it's not the facts that lead people to Christ. I understand that answer... Because there are, there are apparent facts being given from other things that are discouraging people's faith. So on that level, I yeah, would say, like, yeah. I, I think I mentioned this last week that William Lane Craig, an apologist, I heard him say recently, I really liked it, faith is trusting in what you have good reason to think is true. And when you start to look at the evidence and there's... I'm really looking forward to, in April of this year, there's a book coming out by Dr. Stephen Meyer um, on a return to the God hypothesis. And Stephen Meyer is one of the foremost um, scientists and philosophers in the whole discussion of mm-hmm. intelligent design. And um, and he's making the point that the, the evidence points to design. And so in that sense, we have to say, well, everything seems to imply that there was a creator. A and designer. So from that point, yeah. yeah. So those facts can certainly bolster a reason to believe. Well, and I'd like to see the scoreboard on uh, the Bible versus what some people call science. How many scientific theories and things that people took as facts over the years have turned out to be rubbish at times? Because remember, a lot of these scientific theories and studies are done on, it's a theory. It's, it's, it's a supposition. They're, they're trying to prove something. And so you have to be careful with anything you go into that you're trying to, you know, you're, you already have an opinion about. You're just trying to prove your opinion. But yeah, it's a fascinating thing because I was thinking about this yesterday. Mm-hmm. Um, are we discovering realities? Um, are we discovering realities? Or yeah, I don't even really know how to pose it. Be- like math exists whether we're able to explain it or not. Like pi, three point one four. The whole de- it exists whether we are able to attach numbers to it and explain it or not. But when we discover this. These things, we, we can replicate these things and they, they can help us accomplish amazing things. This, this is exactly when we're talking about physics. physics. You know, there are theories in physics that have been put forward for decades. And then we're able to prove these theories scientifically through like the large Haddon Collider over right. it. And we're able to prove that, yeah, that theory was true. But even if we're not able to prove it and pinpoint like a number of years ago in 2012 when they found the Higgs boson thing with the particle collider... Um, even without experimentally proving it, we're able to use the math to be able to do amazing things like create these electronic devices right. that we're using right here. All of this is based upon physics that we can, we can discover these things and then as we discover them, they continue to work. So, yeah, I don't know. Anyways. Yeah. I think Christians should not... We live in an ordered universe. In a nutshell. All that to say. I don't think Christians should be afraid of science because right, science we shouldn't be. No. basically ends up proving the Bible And all the early time. scientists were Christians. Yeah. And, I mean, and science proves the Bible all the time. Yeah, I mean, what's really fascinating is that the father of physics, uh, Sir Isaac Newton, you know, one of the greatest scientific minds around, was also an, an amazing theologian. Right. His writing on some of the prophetic works, and Daniel and so forth. Yeah, I mean, the guy was. Genius. I mean, he's no David Guzik. But he's no David Guzik. No, no you know, not at all. I mean, who is? David Guzik. Wow. Yeah, that's that's deep. You know, David would really be excited about this, uh, the tragedy in Poland. Tragedy in Poland. A, Pol- a Polish pig farmer in the news. Oh, that was weird. Was trampled by his pigs and eaten. His pigs ate him. Yeah. Did you have to bring that up? I, I said we probably shouldn't. So bring close that to. Up. I know. I thought I would. Uh, so anyway, just uh, just don't, moving on. Number don't, five. Yeah. There we go. I lost myself in that last question. Sorry. Okay. Uh, in the message, you said that God doesn't intend for us to be alone or in isolation. And that life is better together. But I'm an introvert. I would rather not be around people. I feel like I could do just fine alone. 
Sure you could. <laughs> what do you mean by alone? That would be my question. So ronery, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's one thing to, to you know, be fine with being at home with no one else there, reading. That's But you cannot live your life entirely 100% alone. It is not good for man to be alone. True, yeah. So yes. I know some people that are kind of introverted. Some people don't believe it, but I'm kind of more introverted than extroverted. I mean, I'm, I've tested positive for extrovert. I'm not even going to You it. totally are. But you know what one of my favorite things to do? Hmm. is be around introverts and bring them out of their shell. Yeah. Release that I think inner that's important. extrovert. I think that's important. Oh, that's, I, you know, here's that's why I married her. Well, here's my discovery. Most of the time when I find someone who's pretty, pretty deeply introverted, it has a lot more to do with kind of fear of interacting with people. And once you kind of start to help them to learn ways to <laughs> talk and interact, those people do pretty good and those people can be hysterical they really they got a lot in there those introverts a lot of times have a good dry sense of humor i love hanging out with introverts your wife is one of them yes she is there you go but she's not as introverted as she used to be does she love to hang out around with an extrovert she better yeah because she can't help it yep she you know we brought it on so my you don't want to be your own counselor so to speak introvert just do fine alone that's not good yeah. It's not good for men to be alone. So get plugged your, into a connect group. Your life will be richer. You'll be a better you know, person. I know you'll you've be more seen this. interesting if you're around more people. We have some certified introverts who have become like serious connectors in connect groups. And I know. they love it. I know. Yeah. It's and like then they, they become double dipper connectors. They start to go to multiple connect groups like and you go, I don't their, think you're much as, as much of an introvert as you They got let their on. extrovert mojo on right. at the at yeah. the at the connect group. Yep. So I think it's great. I'm having fun watching them grow. Yeah, absolutely. So, okay. Um, let's see. We're number six. Um, sin brings brokenness, division, and separation. If I'm separated from a family member, what is the best way to deal with that? And I just had a conversation with someone this afternoon who's living this and just totally broken over this exact situation. I don't think the question came from this person, but they're really broken over this, that there's been a an estrangement between them and a child and it's just heartbreaking for them. You have any thoughts on this? What's the best way to deal with brokenness, division, separation, estrangement? Well, I, I say this in my, um, they don't peep married couples don't like this, Oh, but I say this when we're, we have a couple that's really, um, having a hard time and there's like a standoff. I flat out, I, I say, I says, somebody has to go first. Right. And they look at you, and I said, Jesus went first. Yep. He, he went before, he knew he was going to have a relationship before there was any reward with me. He went first. And so I think it's important. If you're the Christian in the situation, you need to be self-sacrificing. You need to be humble. You need to prepare to just sometimes keep your mouth shut, even when the other person is wrong. You don't need to fix them. You just, you need to be that humble, forgiving, understanding person, and it's going to hurt. You're going to want to talk, and you're going to want to fix things or things to be fair, and you have to resist that temptation. You need to put yourself in a position where you're an easy person to talk to, where you can understand where the other person is coming from, and um, it's not going to be fair all the time. It's not going to be right. And you're going to have to suck it up and be sacrificing with your emotions, your, your feelings, your emotions. Um, 
things that you were probably justified in and and right in but it there's division there and we have to run it we live in a broken fallen world and that goes right into relationships and so and that's a hard thing and so i hate apologizing for things i didn't do i hate apologizing for things when i was right and trying to do the righteous thing but sometimes having that understanding and not running away from the relationship and just to be there for them to be that person to be able to mend fences. That's what being a Christian is all about sometimes. Yeah. You know, in following along the whole thing Mm -hmm. of Jesus taking the first step in restoring that relationship with humanity in general, one of the ones that really comes to mind is when Jesus is on the cross being crucified. Yeah. He says, forgive them father for they know not what they do. So I think first step in the best way to deal with this is to begin to pray for that person and pray with that kind of mindset. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they've done. They don't know what they're doing. And then the added side to that, the interaction of Jesus with Peter after Peter denied him three times. Mm-hmm. And and Jesus makes the move towards Peter in a really phenomenal and powerful way. It's a great story restoration, to look at yeah. for restoration. Um, so, so I do think that beginning in that place of praying for the person is an initial first step. But then what you were saying, Mark, I, man, I can totally see this in every way as well that, you know, I was just looking at an article the other day and it was talking about, you know, do you want to be right or do you want a relationship? Right. And do you want to be right or do you want to be righteous too? Yeah. Yeah. And it's kind of like, there have been those times where it's like, you know, I feel like I'm absolutely right in this situation. And I feel like, you know, I, this person needs to apologize. But it's like, well, if I want if I want the relationship to be restored, then yeah, need to make the first move and maybe just apologize and then just leave it at that instead of saying, but you know, you did this and this and this. and Let say, it go. No, yeah. It ain't going to work. Ain't going to work. Well, and I think it's an important thing for us to spend time with the Lord in this situation and go, Lord, help me to forgive this person. Yeah. Let me forget this. Yeah. Um, because um, we have a certain amount of just self-preservation in, into us and self-righteousness uh, in us, uh, every one of us. And so, yeah, it's a hard And life's hard too thing. short. It is. It is. And you know what? There's another side of this, too. When I, I'll talk to, you know, guy, maybe in this, I'll say use this situation, but it can be the opposite way, is you have a, a gal who's leaving her husband, and the guy has not been perfect or, or done some things that aren't righteous, I always encourage that guy to address everything he's done and to come, you know, say, here, I've done this and this, and I was wrong, and I'm going to ask you to forgive me. I know you you might not. And from this day forward, I'm going to do the righteous and right thing, even when I'm not being, you're responding to it. And how that helps, I think, psychologically and spiritually with, with somebody in that situation is if they still have to march through that disagreement, that divorce in, you know, a year, year and a half, during that year, year and a half, they're acting righteously. They're trying to restore things. Yeah, do the right thing. They're giving that person every chance to forgive them and to be lovable and forgivable in this without expecting anything in return, self-sacrificing at least when it goes down and it goes bad. If it gets finalized, they can say, you know, Lord, I really tried to walk with you for this year and I'm training myself and I'm conditioning my heart to do this. And I think that can lead to great and mighty things. I have an experience with um, a woman who left her husband. She was a Christian. She left her husband. He did all the wrong things. And um, years later, this guy was trying to be righteous. He found the Lord. And he's wanting to get get back together, things like that. Neither one of them remarried. 
and she worked at a church and she wasn't having anything to do with it. And she, she had to get confronted and she's got a powerful testimony and story. She had to get confronted with the unrighteousness that was in unforgiveness that was in her heart and how she was not being like Christ in this situation. And the great news is, is, you know, they, they had a, were able to have another relationship and they got remarried hmm. and restored and were able to redeem all the things that the years had eaten wow. and their children benefited by that to this day. And so clearly with forgiveness on both sides and righteous action actions, um, what was bad had been restored. It was really a beautiful story. So uh, not I've seen impossible. that a few times. It's amazing. Yeah. Unfortunately, it doesn't, it doesn't happen as often as we'd like to see it happen, but it, there are those times where you see God bring about a, truly miraculous restoration so encouraging yeah and and you know in a lot of these stories it's the christian that has to end up being righteous and forgiving and not hold on to other people's sin yeah and man that's hard for us sometimes because hmm. boy i sure like to be forgiven so that's all blessed is the man whose that. sins are forgiven so 32 is it yeah yeah so that's yeah those things so that's i think that's the best way to deal with it agreed you know Jesus got, I always say, Jesus got the worst deal in the history of the world. Didn't sin, was was tortured for our sin. He, he got nothing out of it, and yet he still chose. Then he got us. Test. He got Goodness us, gracious. you and I. Yeah. Whoa, the, the grand prize. Whew. All right. Uh, seven, I was a member of a church that had home fellowships, and we had Bible studies. Why don't you do a Bible study at the connect groups. Hey, I was a member of a church that had home fellowships with Bible studies too. Weren't you a member of a Absolutely. church? Absolutely. Years and years and years of them. Yeah. And they, you know, they had their place and they were good. And I wouldn't argue with any other church that does home fellowships with Bible studies or does growth groups with uh, sermon-based discussion groups, you know. No issue with that. We just do something a little bit different here. And a big part of that has to do with the fact that I don't think we have a deficit of good Bible study. Uh, there's a lot of great Bible study. If you want to get some good Bible study beyond Sunday mornings, um, there's a lot of stuff you can get through podcasts or YouTube or even some of the you know small group Bible studies that we still have around here right. are good. So we still have some small group Bible studies. I mean, we have a whole bunch of people coming to a, pardon me, a women's Bible study on Tuesday morning and Tuesday night and a guy's Bible study on Tuesday morning. So there's all kinds of those things going on. Uh, but our connect groups are just a little bit different. So we're just, there's, we're trying to accomplish something different in there because one of the things that we do have a deficit of in our culture, as I said, we don't have a deficit of good Bible teaching, but what we do have a deficit of is relational engagement. Right. And I think that that we have to look historically too, because a lot of us that really were engaged in those home fellowship type Bible studies, there was a deficit of information at the time as far as if you wanted to read some of, I'll call them the greats, the classics, you know, Spurgeon. Wasn't Boyce, as available. It, you were. There's a lot of truth there. Yeah. You, you, there was a little harder to, to score those books, man. Yeah. Uh, you had to get cassette tapes if you wanted to hear. Oh, gosh. I mean, now, if I want to hear a good Bible teaching in like four and a half seconds, I can download audio from a hundred different Bible teachers instantly. It's just there all the time. Right. And I think, you know, as we look at iron, say for men, iron sharpening iron. Right. Uh, that's a picture of discipleship. That's not just Bible study. And so uh, biblical discipleship, I'm all for it. All those things. We're not anti-Bible study by a long shot. It's right. just the vehicle for what we're trying to do at Cross Connection. The best vehicle for connection we found is we're addressing probably the biggest need out there 
in our culture is for real Christian connection with meaning and depth to it. Right. And uh, that's what those groups are there to accomplish because we have, I would say, a glut of information. We have so much good information, yeah. biblical information out there, so available. And, I mean, you could do it while you're running, driving in your car, uh, you know, getting your teeth cleaned. Uh, you can you can tune in, and I think uh, we have so much. And I think we've got some fantastic Bible commentators, modern, modern Bible con- commentators out there, that um, are, are just they're just fantastic. We have so much. We have no excuse for not being able to study the Word and, and do that. So perfect. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that one hundred percent. Yeah, so, and and I mean, cool. like we're going to start a group here. We have one of our one of our guys getting ready to start a group that is a Bible study in his home. Yeah, going Truth Project. The Truth Project. Yeah. yeah. So so we're not opposed to it. It's just that what Connect groups are, they're a little bit different. Right. Yeah. Right. So I mean, if if I had a qualified Bible study leader that. Uh, you know, had a good background and willing to teach the Bible, I would not tell him no. Right. So uh, we're down. Well, I'm down with that. Indeed. So, have you ever heard any bad Bible studies in home Well, I didn't want to go there. <laughs> okay, we won't. But, then. you know, I said we don't have a deficit of good Bible teaching, which we don't. And um, I, have, I have gone to a fair amount of home fellowship Bible studies that, well, let's just say I, I would have had a hard time inviting someone to. Some of the most heretical teachings I've ever heard. Yeah, I'm trying to be as gracious as possible, okay. but some of them were horrible. Well, you are gracious, but I'm not. Sometimes, yeah. I'm, now, let's get some cold-blooded love. I'm, they were I, terrible. I, I, I mean, I, I'm, I'm with jo- you. Joe Friday. I'm the, yeah. Well, the, the challenge that can be in some small I, I can't tell you how many times I'd be in a group, mm-hmm. and someone would say something, and like all the eyes would look at me like, are you going to say something? Like, you need to yeah, say something. Uh, yeah. Please say something. And then I'd kind of like... I let it go for a second. I go, you know, that's that's. An, you're, you're trying to figure out how do I do this in a diplomatic, judicious way, and not just say that was the lamest thing I've ever heard. You receive no points. We're right. all yes, just a little exactly. dumber for what we just experienced. You, just go, you know, I don't. I'm not sure that's the best interpretation of that that verse. In fact, I can tell you that's not. That's not what that, that verse I, means at all. That doesn't mean that at yeah at all. Yeah. In right. fact, you didn't even read it right. No. Yeah. Mm, yeah. So uh, just some of the most heretical things I've ever heard, and then people get off in the weeds because there's. There's uh, no structure or supervision in a lot of these things. And um, I've seen some really cultic bad stuff there. I mean, you would have to tune into YouTube nowadays and look for stuff to have it that be that bad. And I, I will tell you this. One of the greatest experiences I had in my life as a young Christian is being part of a home fellowship that was a Bible teaching home fellowship. Yeah. Um, but what I took away from that home fellowship actually strangely was not the Bible studies. The Bible study was a reason to gather, but what I took away from that are relationships that I've continued to have since then, uh, friendships and opportunities to disciple one another. That's what I took from those home fellowships was the discipleship and the friendship and the connection parts that I still have with those people to this day. So um, many of those, you know, a good handful of those people anyway. So that was the real value for me in those things. And uh, yeah. Perfect. So done. Good. Wow. That was a long one. There we go. I think we have no more questions, right? No, no more questions. No more questions. Um, so this Sunday, we're going to start the book of Deuteronomy. Right on. Deuteronomy. Bible questions in Deuteronomy. Yeah. I don't know how to end this one, Mark. Should we just 
cue well, I mean, the music. It's gonna be like it's gonna be like Jeopardy. That's the, when you when, when you're on when you're on Jeopardy and it comes to a Bible question, it's always in Deuteronomy. That's true. That's yeah. true. So, yeah, yeah. So when our, when our people come up, they can just say, "Hey, yes, what is we're not in Jeopardy? What is the Book of Deuteronomy?" There you that's, go. That's what the is the Book of Deuteronomy? Thank you, Alex. Wow.